faithwire.com. Jury deliberations are underway in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Today is Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. I'm Dan Andros, and we'll have this top story more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faith Wire. Four big stories, three things you need to know about them, all from a Christian perspective. That's what we do here. You can find us on iTunes and go ahead and subscribe over there if you'd like. Uh, we're here Monday through Friday. We'd love to have you join us. And joining me today is Billy Hallowell. Trey Guns Phillips is still uh, trying to recover from uh, whatever it is that took his voice. Uh, and so he hopefully will be back here uh, this week. But uh, Billy, what's going on? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Just looking over a slew of stories today. And, <laughs> and one of them, just to give a little tease that we're going to talk about, is this Disney story. Whether or not Disney is mainstreaming the occult with the launch of these villains tarot cards. So it's an actual tarot card set that is themed with villains from Disney movies. Well, what could go wrong? What could possibly go <laughs> wrong there? All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive right in here. We'll have uh, the, the, these stories and more coming up on the podcast. We're going to start with uh, the Rittenhouse trial. And, uh, of course, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, on, on trial for um, the shootings that happened that led to the deaths of uh, two individuals and the one being wounded uh, in the chaos and the protests after the, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, last August. And the um, this was in the wake of the Jacob Blake shooting. So um, the prosecutor is uh, who's getting a lot of comments on on social media today. Uh, people criticizing his uh, his tactics and and kind of just um, and w- with some sort of defending him as well, saying, well, he's got the tougher case to deal with. The, the facts are just uh, not uh on his side and so um they you know the one of the attorneys one of the experts being quoted uh, in the ap was saying uh that that good facts make for good attorneys and and the the defense definitely has the the facts on their side they spent two weeks showing what looked like uh a lot of evidence supporting the fact that rittenhouse was being attacked um and so the jury has seen a couple of weeks of these evidence over 30 uh, witnesses have testified and uh, now they're deliberating right now to, to for on his fate. And the charges he's facing are first-degree reckless homicide, first-degree intentional homicide, attempted first-degree intentional homicide, and two counts of first-degree recklessly endangering safety. So the judge had tossed out. We talked about that possession charge. Um, he was only 17. You're not supposed to have you know a dangerous weapon by a person under 18. Um, but the but the Rittenhouse defense team, they argued that some subsection of the law concerning short-barreled rifles was grounds for dismissal, and the judge agreed. And so that charge is actually out. And so now what you have is you had a lot you have a lot of protesters who are starting uh, to get out there and they're um, kind of waiting, uh, you know, and the tension is mounting as this verdict is set to come in soon. And um People are worried that there's going to be unrest over this as well. But, you know, legally speaking, when you are looking at the case, you, you got to go with the facts. It's not even necessarily whether uh, they did it or not. I mean, that's what they're trying to get at. But the best you can do is go with what you can prove. And sometimes uh, that is just harder to do, even if it's pretty obvious what might have happened. In this case, it's not obvious. I mean, it's a self-defense case. Is very, they're always very tough. Um but here's what uh, District Attorney Thomas Binger, this is number two here, has been criticized for soundly on social on social media and on the internet. 
as he's been trying to prosecute Kyle Rittenhouse. During during his closing argument yesterday, a couple of the highlights here, he called Rittenhouse a wannabe soldier who provoked the crowd to attack him. And then this one, he said, under Wisconsin law, you're not around, allow, allowed to run around and point your gun at people. This is the provocation. This is what starts the incident. Now, um, that's that's under dispute. The defense attorney said that he was lying, that there's no evidence uh, that he was um, provoking the crowd. In fact, he says uh, in his thing, he said, think back to November. Here's um, defense attorney Mark Richards slamming Binger after that comment. He said, think back to November 2nd when this case started. Did you hear one word out of Mr. Binger's mouth about provocation? You didn't because it was never said. But when his case explodes in his face, now he comes out with this provocation term. So well, pretty intense back and forth uh, going going along. But but Billy, here's the uh, here is the line that really made the rounds yesterday from Binger, the prosecution. He said, you lose the right to self-defense when you're the one who brought the gun, when you're the one creating the danger, when you're the one provoking other people. Now, the provoking is definitely under dispute. And there doesn't appear to be any tangible evidence that he was provoking anyone. In fact, quite the opposite. They said he didn't do anything until the gun was pointed at him. Uh, their star witness actually even said that. So uh, a lot of conflicting stuff. And the, the, the country waits here, Billy, as the, as the verdict is about to come down. And so why does it matter? I just think our country's so divided. We talked about yesterday how people are looking at this through a political lens, not a legal lens. And um, it just seems like we're we're primed for a repeat of the riots from last year. Well, yeah, and we talked about this yesterday, the, this rise of the emotions and this idea yeah. that you're not entitled to a self-defense. I mean, that seems like a very bizarre legal argument for anybody <laughs> to be yes. making. Uh, I don't I don't know when you lose the right to a self-defense. That seems a little crazy. But, <laughs> right. um, you know, when, when you look at when you look at the details on the ground and this makes people uncomfortable, oftentimes we put our emotions and our thoughts into what we think should happen. What we think should happen should not have no bearing on what actually does happen, right? Which is that justice needs to be served. And these were very chaotic times. When you think back to all of this going on, a lot of emotions running wild, you know, was it stupid to run in, you know, to a scenario with a gun like that when there's so many emotions running? Yeah, absolutely. Is it also you know, stupid to be tearing down an entire city when you're angry? Absolutely. So you just, there's so much going on in, in these circumstances. I think no matter what happens, you're going to have outrage, right? Yeah. Uh, but my concern really is if he gets off on some of these charges, and by the way, there was another charge which made me laugh, and I believe it was count seven, failure to comply with an emergency order from state or local government. This was because Rittenhouse was out on the streets after 8 p.m. Well, they better round up everyone else that was well, out that's there. that's what then. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm, I'm and they, the judge threw it out, apparently. He dismissed the charge during the trial. But but I'm laughing to myself thinking, um, how about every other person out past yeah. 8 p.m.? Well, right? and the then, others involved. Yeah, well. and, and then I don't have the quote in front of me right now, but there was another part that he was that the prosecution was ripped for. Again, when you don't have the best facts on your side, it's tough. He said he, he was trying to, um, uh, one of the people that was shot by Rittenhouse, he was trying to downplay the stuff that he was involved in. He goes, now, what did he do that night that was so bad? And he was, he was reading it. He was doing it in this like sort of mocking, sarcastic tone. And he said, he knocked a porta potty over with no one in it. He set some stuff on fire. 
You know, it's like, well, I think this is destroying property and setting <laughs> right. things on fire is pretty bad. And then the worst one was at the end of it, he goes, and he said the N word. Ooh. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If if we're dividing this case up by political lines here and the left is super sensitive on language, how can this guy get away with downplaying the use of a, of a horrible for, word like the N word? You know, I mean that that, and then why are we diminishing the destruction of private <laughs> property and setting things on fire? I, I don't. Know. It, it sounded just, so bad because it wasn't like one thing. It wasn't like he knocked over the porta potty with no one in it. Like okay, if it was just that, you'd be like, all right, then it's it's you know, there's riots going on. That's not the worst thing that happened. You you could get that, but he listed like eight things. Okay, so he was knocking stuff over. Yeah, he grabbed a trailer and set it on fire. Yeah, he set these other things on fire. Yeah, he's calling people racist slurs. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like when does it end? At what point are, like, no one's listening to that going, oh, yeah, it really wasn't that bad of a night for him. Everyone's probably listening to that going, yee, this guy's you know, had a horrible night. One of the things about social media that is so bizarre to me is that, you know, A, it's good that we know things are happening in society. Like, if there are things that are happening that we don't know, now we have a, a clue into that. But but B, I think the, the flip side of that is that there's so much information, there's so much content coming at us that we can't always know exactly what's going on. And when these cases make their way out because of the emotion attached to it, everybody's an expert on it. Everyone's yeah. an expert. No, you're yeah. not an expert no. on it. And so th that's what fuels this anger, though, at the baseline of this. So if he gets off and you have more, it's just a circle of chaos. And I'm just really hoping that, and I, and I know that this is naive, that people can look at this and say, I don't like the end result, no matter what that is, but I'm going to move forward and work towards the change I want to believe in without flipping out and creating more chaos. Yeah, 100%. And and that's, well, here's a telling line here, and I'll, I'll leave it at this, to your point. Uh, in the AP article, they quote an expert, uh, a former federal prosecutor named Phil Turner. He's not involved in this case, but he said, it sounds like he'd be guilty of, um, well, the... Um, He's talking about the gun charge being dismissed. And he said, you know, it's significant that it got dismissed because it sounds like he'd be guilty of that and he'd get a and at least you'd get a conviction on something. He said you can you can at least assuage the public that you've got something as opposed to coming away with absolutely nothing. Now, I'm not a legal scholar, but I don't think when you're in the courtroom assuaging the public and making the public and considering their feelings doesn't seem to be one of the things you're supposed to be concerned about. As an attorney, you're not like, well, wait a minute. What is the angry mob going to think about this outside? I mean, I, but you are now because I that, guess so. you shouldn't be. This is not what the legal system, the legal system is not here to make you feel better. That's right. not what it's here to no. do. It's here to, to serve justice up. Right. Right. Yes. So, yeah. Under the law, the, the law is not look, you can, it's very difficult sometimes to prove things. Right. And, and so. That's the frustrating thing. I, I remember uh, the George Zimmerman case, for example. I, I didn't. I wasn't a fan that this guy was out, you know, playing cop at night. But when you looked at whatever, and again, difficult case because there weren't really any witnesses, and uh, you know Trayvon Martin was was dead, so that's tough, right? Now I don't like any of the things that led up to it, but given the evidence you have, it's very difficult to convict the guy. That might not be fair, and that's just. It's one of those cases that's difficult, but you can't just convict the guy because it looks bad, right? 
Um, and so you have to go based on legally what you have available to us. And some cases are legally stronger than others. And so you you have to live with that. I mean, otherwise, if you start going trial trial by mob, that that's just when society really goes off the rails. And burn her. She's a witch. But it uh, seems you know. like that's what people want. They yeah. want a case that makes them feel better because this goes back to the selfishness that we've talked about. People are obsessed with themselves and it's all about what they think and they feel and they want. And so that extends it. And that's why the, the nationalization of these cases, yeah. you know, I think is a real problem. And I think social media is fueling that problem and making us think that we have some sort of role or stake in these cases, of course, these cases matter. These lives, you know, that are lost, they need to be, there needs to be justice, right? And I'm not saying he's guilty. I'm just saying we need to understand whether that means he gets off or he's convicted. Justice needs to be served, not emotional appeasement. Yep, uh, couldn't agree more. So why don't we head uh, head into uh, story number two, Billy? So story number two is all about good old Disney. Now, Disney is obviously one of the most well-known and beloved family entertainment companies around, but they've apparently, do, do, I guess they've gone into the occult, essentially. Now, Disney is not I'm directly- I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to chime in and say I'm shocked. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. Well, and listen, Disney is all about magic, right? But but I think for most people, the magic that you see in Disney movies is the, it's stuff that you can kind of look past and say, okay, they're entertaining my children and, you know, whatever. It's just, it, it's harmless. Not everybody feels that way. Some people feel like it's not. But this particular story is about tarot cards. A company allegedly, purportedly, has licensed the images of Disney villains. Now, why is that important? It's important because it means that the company was able to get Disney to allow them to use images of all sorts of villains to put them on tarot cards and to release a tarot card deck. Now, for those who are not familiar with tarot cards, you know, for Christians, we know if you look in scripture, scripture doesn't say that psychics and mediums aren't real. It says, do not deal with psychics and mediums. Do not engage in those things. Does yeah. that mean every psychic and medium you encounter is, is truly a psychic or a medium? No, it doesn't mean that. But scripture is telling us that these things are real. So tarot cards are a tool that psychics and mediums will use to try to tell the future. And so on these little cards, it looks like almost a regular card deck. You've got these Disney characters now, right? And these villains, and I, I thought it was so telling, Religion News Service, they put out a story and their headline was, with villains tarot deck, Disney pushes the mystical practice further into mainstream. <laughs> and I think that's part of why this matters though, right? That tarot cards first emerged about 600 years ago. So they've been around for a long time. It was initially a game. And then around the 1700s, the late 1700s, people started to use them and integrate them in to mysticism, to psychic readings. And so this became a very real practice. And as we speak right now today, and this just speaks to the more of why it matters, there's actually a major increase in the number of people who are using tarot cards, who are seeking their future. Even though we've got all of this sort of drift away from faith in our culture, we've got this increase because of that sort of gaping hole now, once you sort of pull real authentic faith back, People are still seeking. They're still looking for truth. And so it should come as no coincidence that these tarot cards are emerging. Now, the other interesting part of this story is that it's not just the Disney villains. 
There are apparently going to be Alice in Wonderland uh, tarot cards coming down the pipeline, and there's already a Nightmare Before Christmas deck on the market. So this is a this is a big sort of move. There was a guy named Jay Ryan who who spoke to RNS, and he said, "quote Having Disney enter the market with their own decks was nice because it has the company's blessing." Mm. And this guy is a tarot card reader, right? So this is, it's an interesting move. Again, it's not Disney selling them directly, but they're, they license it. They're, they're apparently allowing these images to be used. So it's, you know, look, it's troubling in that these sorts of things sort of seep their way into children's consciousness, right? And if you're a Christian and you're trying to avoid these sorts of things in your family and in your life, well, your favorite entertainment company is apparently licensing their characters to it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'll be waiting for the, uh, the next uh, installment of, of uh, Disney cards at, at uh, VBS. The Christ- Disney Christian, Bible. Christian perhaps. church. Yeah. The Disney Bible, Christian <laughs> church is all right. No, of course they're not going to do that, but they're completely safe to throw out some tarot cards and, uh, you know, dabble with um, occult linked type things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not surprising to me that this is uh it's surprising that Disney um would even bother with it with something like this. It just doesn't seem it doesn't seem like a big enough market share for them to even want to care about it. Like you said, they're not selling it directly, so maybe it was one of those things they just approved without really thinking it right. through or whatever. I don't know, but maybe an oversight somewhere. But yeah, I mean, but given a lot of the other stuff that Disney because remember, Disney has definitely taken a step I mean, you look at the firing of Gina Carano, for example, over over that tweet, which was completely, um, I forget the guy's name, but the guy who's, who plays Mando in The Mandalorian um, is had a way worse tweet, you know, that if you want to talk about Nazi tweets, you know, um, you know, you'd have to go back and look at the, I don't want to dive into yeah, the no, whole I, Gina I remember, Carano I remember saga, the tweet. Yeah. But, but her tweet was pretty tame i mean just basically warning like oh these are the sorts of things that happened in nazi germany and then and then she gets fired over it and it's but but that's because the internal workings of disney have become so pc so on the woke train that it's it's not surprising to me then that they complete feel completely comfortable you know dabbling in occult like things um you know in the midst of that that's not a problem at all but um because woke well, people don't complain about that kind of stuff but the other problem here is that there's a real move in society, and it's really kicked up since 2014 when the Ouija movies came out, right? You had yeah. the Ouija board movie, and they yeah. were trying to sell. You know, people are walking around, and they're saying, oh, look, it's just a board game. Oh, look, it's just a fun game. Yeah. And so it's been sort of peddled into this arena of being just a, a really fun thing to, to play around with and enjoy, when in reality, there are people out there, whether people believe it or not, whether people think it's real or not, there are actually people in the occult who use these tools to practice their their quote-unquote powers so yeah. do with that what you will but it would seem strange to me for a for a children's company to want to to want to allow this sort of <laughs> yeah. thing to happen right right and, and well and it's interesting to your point about like spiritual warfare and as christians you know you you talk a lot about it you've got a book on it and um it's real and so you, you know re, you know you might not get powers per se but uh, you're certainly opening yourself up to those those forces of wickedness, and um, you know I, we're just reading through our family right now. We're going through Exodus, we went through Genesis, going through Exodus, doing our family Bible study, and just reading about the plagues right now. And what's interesting is 
when you know Moses comes up and says, you know, warns Pharaoh about, hey, we're going to send this plague, and if you, if you don't let him go, and then he hardens his heart, and then he sends the frogs, and then he sends the the turns the the, the Nile to blood, and what does it say about the magicians? A couple of times they're able to do the same thing. Yes. And um, and then that, but that served. Now again, I'm not saying God's doing that now all around here, but that served to harden Pharaoh's heart because he looked at it and said, "Oh, well, my magicians can do the same thing, so we're good." Now, now the magicians couldn't free them from it; they couldn't turn it off. But uh, but it's interesting though because they were obviously summoning, you know, powers of darkness right at, at the same time. So. Uh, and probably oh. were surprised. If I had to guess, they were probably surprised. Like, oh my gosh, this is actually working. What's going on? <laughs> well, and and that that also you know happens you know when um, the the witch you know she goes in and she summons Samuel's spirit, right? If you remember mm-hmm. that whole that whole ordeal when Saul goes to her and he's like, look, I want. He goes to the psychic, this medium. He's like, I want to bring him back, and she's able to do it. And she seems surprised by her ability to do it too, but. I would actually point people, and this is interesting because it's, you know, not to go down a rabbit hole, but if you go to if you go to Acts 16 and read it, I had not ever paid attention to the story of the slave woman who's following Paul around, driving him crazy, right? She's driving him nuts. And she was a slave woman whose owners would use her to fortune tell. And she's following him around. And finally, Paul turns around and casts the demons out of her. And she no longer can fortune tell. And it's one of the most incredible stories to me because I had never paid attention to that or looked at that, you know, because you, you see in the Old Testament, stay away from these things. Don't don't do them. Don't engage with psychics and mediums. And then you see this woman who is actually healed and no longer has the ability to do it. So there's a lot there's a lot there. Right. And people have lots of theological views on it. You know, my stand is let's not mess with these things. Let's not engage with them. We're told not to. Uh, but I think, too. What's troubling about this is, and I think this is always one of the things that that strikes me as important as believers to pay attention to. You know, why are why are these things always targeting children? It's interesting. Like yeah. if you're the enemy and your goal is to sort of, you know, knock people off course when they're young, it makes sense why these sorts of companies are the always the ones that seem to go this direction. Yeah, definitely. And um I've I've opened Act 16 now that you brought it up. And uh I listened, this is a phenomenal sequence here. Um, you, you talked about the fortune teller. I, I just got to go through this real quick. This is, this is great. So Acts 16, 18, and this she kept doing for many days following them around. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said <laughs> to the spirit, I, <laughs> I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. That's, that's, that's something else. They were just yeah. mad because they were losing their source of income. but uh, Right, right. Well, And it doesn't say, again, it doesn't say she can't do it. It right. says she could do it. And she, she, her owners used her for fortune telling, it says in verse, in verse 16. She earned a great deal of money for them. Yeah. So that to me, I had, had you ever noticed that? Because I literally skipped it. I never no, even. I forgot yeah. about it. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable to see the Bible again, say, this is not fake. It does exist and yeah. you need to not engage it. hundred percent. All right. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's go to uh, another, if we have time for a couple more here, I wanted to, um, bring up this one. We did, uh, you posted uh, yesterday, Billy, about the artist and the activist from China, a form, a former Chinese political prisoner, um, is, is sounding the alarm kind of mirroring saying that some of the current conditions in America right now may already constitute a dose of an authoritarian state. So um, here's his quote. 
He said, certainly in the United States with today's condition, you can easily have an authoritarian. Um, and then he was talking to Margaret Hoover on firing line. And he said, in many ways, you're already in the authoritarian state. You just don't know it. And so <laughs> Hoover asked him to expound on this. Um, and he said, uh, well, first she tried to, by the way, first she tried to get him to say she, she quoted Trump, uh, a quote he had about Trump saying that, well, Trump using Twitter and, and it's, it's kind of like how Mao is speaking directly to, you know, to his, his, you know, political warriors or whatever. And, um, and speaking directly to the people that way. And, and so he, she said, well, does that make Trump an authoritarian in your mind? And he's like, no, no, actually, no. Um, he's like, you need to actually have the system behind you to do that. But, but so she said, well, what does make you think that we're kind of mirroring the Chinese, Chinese cultural revolution in some ways? And he said, quote, many of the things uh, that happened today in the U.S. Can, can be compared to that cultural revolution in China. And he said, like people trying to be unified uh, in certain political correctness, that is very dangerous. I found that exchange incredibly fascinating, Billy. I don't know about you, um, but he, they tried to pin that on Trump. And then he turned it around and said, no, it's all this. You've got to believe that men can get pregnant or else that stuff is dangerous. Right. And it seems like, you know, this is it seems like what he's saying is exactly what you just said, that this is a danger to, to require everybody to agree. I mean, this is somebody yeah. who was who was basically persecuted and mistreated by China. Right. So he by his own government, he knows what it's like for that to happen. And so for that to already be happening here in America, which it absolutely is happening, it's starting to not to the same degree at the government level, but it's happening in culture and in society. And in some ways, in some in some local governments, we've seen some evidence of this um, unfolding. And so I thought it was also interesting. He went on to say that we know so much more than we really understand. And this kind of goes into yeah. what we were talking about yeah. earlier on social media. The information becomes jammed. You know, we're sitting here, we think we're experts but and we, yeah, we're, but, yeah. we're not. No, yeah, you're right. We scroll. We just scroll and we, uh, we consume a surface amount. And if anything, uh, this is just my personal take, Billy, but if anything, I have felt humbled at how much I don't know when I look at all the all the people out there that are so smart on different issues and um and I end up finding myself like I I don't want to be like speaking out of line on stuff so I tend to just defer to people who have devoted their you know life's work or study into one area and so I'm like okay I'm going to I'm going to listen to what they say I'm not just going to agree with everything they say but I'll tend to defer to people like that because we're just scrolling, and you, I think we're seeing that now, exactly that, is that people scroll, 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 they get surface, surface headline, think they're experts, but they don't really know anything. No, absolutely. And this idea that because we think we know, everyone <laughs> yeah. has to agree with us, right? right? So now we're the experts. So if you don't agree with me, you're an awful, terrible spawn, and you need to be stopped <laughs> and canceled. I mean, that is what cancel culture, what we're watching happen, is what he's speaking about here. And he doesn't go really, really deep on it. I would love to actually hear more from him. Now I want to know more. But I saw actually that the Daily Wire also did a story on this and he retweeted, he shared it and they used the word woke in it, that he was decreeing wokeness. So he must agree to some, you know, he must, you could kind of like piece it together that it goes much deeper than just even what he was saying here. Yeah, no, 100%. So, um, all right, we got time. Billy, are we going to wrap it or do you got, do you have one more that you want to toss in? Yeah, yeah, you know, I do. I got another one. All right, this, let's do it. 
this pastor out in Compton, Joe Moore, who was killed, uh, and we, we've covered this story a number of times. We spoke with his daughter, and um, it's such a heartbreaking story. The Los Angeles Times, there was a columnist there, Erica Smith, who wrote about his story. And it's always amazing to me to hear about a pastor, who they were before they became a pastor. And, you know, we got this background on Joe Moore. He actually, before becoming a preacher, was addicted to crack cocaine Mm. in the 1980s and the 1990s. He had all sorts of trouble going on in his life. And at his funeral, and this is a pastor, by the way, that the entire community in Compton loved. I mean, everybody loves him. Nobody can understand why he was gunned down. We still don't know who did it. But his, his niece, Sandra Gladney, she basically got up and she was like, look, there was a time that I didn't even like to look at him. And mm. everybody kind of gasped, you know, at the at the church. Like, and she's like, let me tell you why. And she explains that he had this, this horrible past, right, with drugs mm. and chaos. And then he had this car accident and he died. He had to be revived. And it was the first time he died. That's kind of how they worded it in this story. His life changed. He came out of that rediscovered his faith and I'll let you guys read it over at faith wire, but it was really just an incredible story of transformation, this shocking moment that transformed him. And now this horrific tragedy, the world really has a chance to, to consider what transformation looks like in light of the unfortunate death that he faced. Man, that, that really is amazing. That is remarkable. And, um, it, you never know how God's going to use your life. And uh, we were talking about this in our small group the other day about, um, you know, our purpose in life and sort of how do you reconcile when bad things happen? And and we, we kind of landed on this spot where you've got to, you know, accept that you're not the center of the story, right? That, that God is painting a big, giant masterpiece and we're just one little slice in time. Um, you know, we were t- talking about the Exodus and the, the Israelites who were you know, hundreds of years in slavery, and then, you know, 40 years in the desert. You think about the lifetime spent there These of people in that situation, you know, it makes me think that we tend to have this ex- expectation that we're owed something, that we somehow we're owed this comfortable, peaceful, prosperous life that we all have here uh, in America for the most part, at least compared to the rest of the world. So um, don't lose your place uh, about that, that you're not the center of the story. And God's gonna is gonna use you in a way you have no idea or you don't expect, and uh, and I, yeah. that that this story like brings that out to me because, you know, they probably had no idea why the heck he was having that horrible struggle early on in his life or why he got into a car accident, why was he brought back to life, and then you see the end result of it, and it's them able to point to God. That it's awesome, and and talking about forgiveness. I mean, we've covered yeah. that they are calling for. Forgiveness. He also used it in his ministry. So the first, the first death that he had and and being revived, used it as part of his ministry. And now this, you know, it's it's tragic, but it's being used now to show forgiveness and what that means for the family. And that that to me, I love those stories. Yep. Obviously, I don't love what happened to him, but right. I love what comes out of it because it's so powerful. Amen. All right, that's all the time we have for this episode. As always, you can catch us on uh, iTunes and wherever podcasts are downloaded. Head on over to faithwire.com and cbnnews.com for more news from a Christian perspective. God bless. We'll see you back here tomorrow.